Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Review RN. Today, we're going to take a second to review some specific labs and what the results indicate. Specifically, we're going to talk about a BMP and a CMP today. This stands for the Basic Metabolic Panel and the Complete Metabolic Panel. Whether you're a healthcare worker or the patient, at some point, we can become overwhelmed with the amount of labs that are ordered and what the tests look at and also what the numbers specifically mean. My goal is to do a few of these podcasts along the way so that we can take a moment to break down specific lab tests and look at what your healthcare provider is looking for and specifically what it's going to tell you as the nurse, the healthcare provider, or what it means to you as the patient. The basic metabolic panel looks at eight specific values. The complete metabolic panel, while incorporating everything that the basic metabolic panel includes, is comprised of an additional seven blood tests. So that is 15 blood tests in total. And those additional blood tests are mostly related to the liver function. So to begin, let's review the basic metabolic panel and the eight values that it looks at and what the normal values for those eight individual blood tests are. Please remember that every textbook and every organization uses a slightly different, quote, normal range for blood tests, but they should really only vary by one to two points on either side. I referenced the most common common ranges I've seen uh, for a BMP, which stands for basic metabolic panel. This looks at the patient's glucose, which can be either fasting or non-fasting, and this depends if the patient's um, if they've eaten within 8 to 12 hours prior to the blood draw. It also looks at the calcium level, sodium, chloride, potassium, CO2, BUN, and creatinine, as well as the estimated GFR, which stands for estimated glomerular filtration rate. When we're looking at the glucose, if it's fasting, the normal range for a fasting glucose is 70 to 100 milligrams per deciliter. If the fasting glucose falls below 70 milligrams per deciliter, that is considered hypoglycemia. And if it's elevated greater than 100 milligrams per deciliter when the patient is fasting, this is considered hyperglycemia, which can be caused from impaired fasting glucose, diabetes, or medications such as corticosteroids. When looking at calcium levels, the normal calcium range is 8.5 to 10.5 milligrams per liter. If low calcium levels are observed, which is called hypocalcemia, this can be related to parathyroid insufficiency, uh, poor dietary intake of calcium-rich foods, or an indication that the patient has low vitamin D levels. Hypercalcemia, a calcium level greater than 10.5 milligrams per liter, can indicate hyperparathyroidism, 
um, or high vitamin D levels. So to tie this together, vitamin D specifically helps the absorption of calcium in the gut. Now, when looking at the sodium level, we want to note that normal sodium levels range from 135 to 145 milliequivalents per liter. If the patient has hyponatremia, that means their sodium level is less than 135. Hyponatremia can be caused by several different factors such as diarrhea, thiazide diuretics, renal insufficiency, as well as fluid overload, which causes a dilution to the serum sodium levels. Hypernatremia is sodium levels greater than 145 milliequivalents per liter, which can be a sign of Cushing syndrome, dehydration, as well as renal insufficiency. Next, we'll talk about chloride. Chloride is an anion in the human body needed for metabolism, as well as maintaining the body's acid-base balance. The amount of serum chloride is carefully controlled by the kidneys. The normal range for chloride is 95 to 105 milliequivalents per liter. Low chloride levels can be due to fluid loss from medication, such as loop diuretics, or fluid loss from diarrhea or vomiting. Lung disease such as emphysema can also play a role in low chloride levels. And elevated chloride, which is considered hyperchloremia, can be a result of renal failure or a side effect if the patient is taking medications such as corticosteroids. When we look at the CO2 uh, results within the BMP, we can use these results to to determine if the patient has an imbalance between the oxygen and the carbon dioxide in the blood or a pH imbalance in your blood. These imbalances can be signs of kidney, respiratory, or metabolic disorders. The body contains two major forms of CO2, one being uh, bicarbonate and the other being carbon dioxide. The range for CO2 is 23 to 29 milliequivalents per liter. It is important to note that the total carbon dioxide in the blood is mainly in the form of bicarbonate, and therefore when looking at low or high levels of the total CO2, you can think of this as looking at the levels of bicarbonate. So low levels of CO2 on a BMP will indicate elevated acid in the blood, which can be a result of metabolic acidosis, diabetic ketoacidosis, or aspirin toxicity. High levels of CO2 can be very commonly found in patients with lung disease, such as COPD. Next is the anion gap that is evaluated on the BMP, and the normal range is 3 to 10 milliequivalents per liter. This is used to assess for acid-base imbalances by specifically looking at the electrolytes sodium, chloride, potassium, and bicarbonate. So electrolytes are electrically charged, And they either are negative and some are positive. And the anion gap helps to detect the difference between the positively and the negatively charged electrolytes. This is specifically used during the correction of metabolic acidosis in patients experiencing DKA. While the patient is experiencing DKA, their anion gap is high. And generally, as the DKA corrects itself, the anion gap will close and come back within normal range. Now, when we're looking at the BUN and serum creatinine, as well as the estimated GFR, which is sometimes included on the metabolic panel, we are often looking and focusing in on the kidney function. Changes in the renal function will dramatically change the BUN, the serum creatinine, as well as the 
estimated GFR. So to begin, the BUN has a normal range of 7 to 20 and measures the amount of urea nitrogen in your blood. So urea nitrogen comes from the breakdown of protein and the food you eat. Normally, the nitrogen in the blood binds to other waste products and they're filtered out by the kidneys and they leave your body via the urine. If the kidneys are not working and filtering as efficiently as they should be, your B1 can be higher. This can directly reflect renal insufficiency. However, certain medications such as prednisone or tetracycline antibiotics can cause an increase to BUN. Also, gastric bleeding can lead to elevated BUN levels, and therefore it's important to analyze why a BUN level is out of normal range specific to your patient. Serum creatinine measures the amount of creatinine in your blood. Creatinine is a waste product that is produced by the normal wear and tear on our muscles. Again, like BUN, these waste products are filtered out of the blood by the kidneys and excreted via urine. If rising serum creatinine levels occur, this can indicate renal insufficiency and serum creatinine is often used to check kidney function. Normal range of creatinine is 0.6 to 1.2 milligrams per deciliter. Anything greater than this number indicates decreased ability of the kidneys to function and filter out waste appropriately. This can be caused by kidney failure or even acute kidney injury, which is directly related to lack of perfusion or infection to the kidneys themselves. The estimated GFR is considered to be normal if it's greater than 60. This is not always the case, but sometimes it's listed on the basic metabolic panel, and this gives a good estimation of how well the glomerulus is filtering all substances, and your eGFR can vary based on age, sex, as well as race. Once the estimated GFR decreases below 15, that patient is at high risk for needing treatment for kidney failure, such as dialysis or kidney transplant. Now, when we start talking about CMP or a complete metabolic panel, we are analyzing all the blood tests that we just discussed. But in addition, there are more tests which are directly related to your liver function, which are included in the CMP. The first three additional blood tests look at uh, the liver function, specifically ALP, known as alkaline phosphatase, ALT, which stands for alanine transaminase, and AST, also known as aspartate aminotransferase. These are different enzymes made by the liver. The ALP normal ranges are 40 to 120 units per liter, and this enzyme is found in certain organs, such as the bones and your liver, and can be elevated if, if a disease process is occurring within the bone or the liver. ALT normal range is 7 to 56 units per liter, and AST normal range is 10 to 40 units per liter. These enzymes are found in organs, and if abnormally high, can be, can be linked to liver damage. ALT and AST are also monitored in patients who are taking statin therapy for high cholesterol levels. If the patient has follow-up blood work and the results are elevated, specifically the ALT and AST, and they are on statin therapy, the statin will be discontinued and follow-up labs will be completed to see if the ALT and AST levels return to normal range. Bilirubin is another test that is measured within the CMP, and the normal range is 0.1 to 1 milligrams per deciliter. 
Bilirubin is a waste product from the breakdown of red blood cells. And this process is performed in the liver and then the substance is excreted in the bile and leaves the body via the stool. If there are high levels of bilirubin, this can present in patients who have liver disease or other gastrointestinal problems such as bilirubin blockage. Symptoms can present with jaundice, which is a yellow-orange hue to the skin, the mucous membranes, or even the sclera. The last three tests that the CMP looks at are directly related to proteins. The total protein, which the normal range is 6.2 to 8.2 grams per deciliter, measures the complete amount of proteins in the blood, including both albumin and globulin. This can be low in patients who have kidney failure or high in patients who have cancer. Globulin is a protein made in the liver by the immune system and helps to fight infections, and its normal range is 2 to 4 grams per deciliter. Lastly, albumin, that normal range is 3.4 to 5.4 grams per deciliter, and this is a protein, again, made by the liver, and it has a significant role inside the blood vessel to regulate oncotic pressure. This is important because we do not want the blood vessels leaking fluid into the localized tissue, which can lead to third spacing or edema. Albumin also carries various substances throughout the body, including hormones, vitamins, and enzymes. I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. I wanted to take a minute to break down some basic labs that we see all the time. I'm going to come back and do some of these throughout the week's Uh, Maybe next time we'll look at the CBC or just some other normal labs um, just so we can really understand the different values and what it means to have an abnormal value. Again, you can always find me at Instagram handle Let's Review RN. Feel free to send me a message on anything you'd like to learn about. Also, I do give daily um, tips and tricks as far as just educational pieces, things that we talk about on the podcast or things that I'm planning to do in upcoming podcasts. So, and again, I always ask that you rate and review the podcast if you're loving it, because this will help encourage others to come learn with us till next time. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.